Hi, everybody, and welcome to the new and improved JTCC podcast, now called Get a Grip. Exactly a year ago, we launched the JTCC podcast where I was the host, and each episode was a Q&A with a guest from the tennis industry. This year, I'm really excited to launch Get a Grip, which will maintain the core of the JTCC podcast, but will feature additional segments and will also be co-hosted by my dad, Vesa Ponga. Um, together, we're going to dig into tennis industry topics, trends, and news, and keep up with the pros on tour, the next-gen players, and up-and-coming junior players. Episodes will be released on the 15th and the 30th of every month, and they will be available on Buzzsprout, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Alexa, and Google Home. So make sure to subscribe to stay up to date. My name is Nicole Ponka. I'm 24 years old. I grew up around JTCC and in the tennis world. I'm currently working on the marketing team at JTCC full-time. I'm very excited to rebrand the podcast and co-host with my dad. I do enjoy watching and following professional tennis. A few of my favorite players have been Serena and Venus Williams. Ever since I was a kid, they were kind of like the powerhouse of women's tennis. Uh, Roger Federer, and now I'm very interested in following and watching Ash Barty, Simona Halep, and JTCC alumni Francis Tiafo, of course. Uh, Dad, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi everybody, my name is Vesa Punk. I'm a president here at uh, JTCC. I'm one of the original founders. I have been here for about 20 years now. I'm 55 years old. I have very strong traditional uh, views when it comes to the tennis. Uh, I have been around tennis for, you know, since uh, early 70s and, and, and I feel like the traditions are very, very important and I'm looking forward to battle with my, my daughter here a little bit because <laughs> I know that it's a different generation and, and, and we will be, you know, butting heads a little bit, but I think that that will be fun. My favorite tennis player all time, of course, is Bjorn Borg. I grew up in the 70s when Borg was winning everything and until to this day he's the greatest player in my eyes. But I also have a, a huge respect for uh, Harry Hopman, who I consider that he's the greatest coach who ever lived. Just to give everybody a little idea, from 1950 to 1967, he was a Davis Cup coach for Australia, and they won the, the, that, those 17 years, they won 15 Davis Cup titles, which is just an absolutely fantastic uh, record, and never will be broken. And uh, I think this is a good time now, you know, is during the Australian Open, and we yeah. are going to talk a lot about uh, Australian tennis. So, you know, I have always been a big fan of uh, Australian tennis and the players and I mentioned Harry Hoffman who kind of started the golden era of Australian players. It's absolutely amazing the amount of fantastic Grand Slam winners that Australia produced. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite female player of all time is Yvonne Gulagong from um, 70s. I mean, I have never seen more graceful tennis player. You know, she was gliding on the grass in Wimbledon and was a fantastic player. And, um, you know, Australian tennis anyway is close to our heart because a couple of years ago, um, maybe Nicole, you can talk more about it, but, you know, you spent some quality time in Australia and you were even in interning for my friend uh, Craig Tiley, who's a tournament director. So tell a little bit about that one. Yeah, so four years ago this time, I went off to Australia, uh, study in Melbourne, uh, study abroad for six months. I got there a little earlier and I was able to intern at the 2016 Australian Open, you know, working for Craig Tiley. And I spent the whole two weeks there and uh, I really, really loved the atmosphere and the Australian people. The level of tennis I saw was very impressive and very high. The city of Melbourne is great too and just the buzz that the tournament kind of created around the city it was 
great atmosphere to be in, great environment. Um, definitely one of my favorite places that I've ever visited and traveled to. And um, probably ranks in as, as my favorite slam, as I have been to all four now. And um, I do have to say Australian Open is probably the favorite one. How about there's this term, happy slam? Could you feel it? Could you For sure, for it? sure, yeah. The happy slam is, is a, a perfect nickname for the Australian Open. It, people say it's more than just kind of the tennis tournament. You know, you go and the Australians are just by nature very laid back and uh, happy, relaxed people. So, you know, there's people there to watch the tennis, but a lot of people are there to socialize and, you know, have some drinks and listen to music and kind of just be in the atmosphere and they're right there in the middle of Melbourne. Very true. It is the happy slam. I will have to agree with that. So as my dad mentioned, you know, this episode is going to revolve heavily around the Aussies in tennis and the history and um, even some recaps later on of the 2020 Australian Open going on now. Every episode of Get a Grip is going to include a short game with my co-host. So today we're going to play three trivia questions. My dad likes to think that he's <laughs> a, a walking encyclopedia when it comes to when it comes to tennis history. He he likes to think that he knows everything. And you know, I will I will give you some credit. You do have a very extensive and impressive knowledge and background of tennis and, and the history of the whole sport. But I have come up with three trivia questions for you that are gonna test your knowledge on the history of the Australian Open specifically. Okay. You, you up I'm for the challenge? Um, let's go for it. All right, so the first question is, the Australian Open held a different name when it was first played in 1905. What was it? Gosh, Nicole, um, I'm old, but I'm, I'm not that old. I have no idea what was the name, so uh, I'm striking out right away. All right, yeah, 1905 was a long time ago. The answer is Australasian Championships, just kind of a tongue twister. Okay. Um, it I, did can, I cannot <laughs> even pronounce that one, so that I had no chance. It did change to Australian Open in the year 1969. Uh, next question, which player broke Andre Agassi's 26 match win streak at the 2004 Australian Open? 2004, I will, I will get this one right. He lost to young Russian Marat Safin in five sets. There you go, and that was in the semifinal. Here we go. And last question, who won the Australian Open men's singles title in 1986? Okay, I... I um I, I know that you really want to throw me under the bus here. Uh, I know my daughter, because this is an absolute trick question, and I know the answer to this one. 1986, Australian Open wasn't played, because they changed the dates from November to the January. Mm -hmm. So uh, nobody played that one. And Australian Open actually has a history of kind of changing dates back and forth, you know, they, they have changed fair amount. They have also been changing the, the playing surface. So that's, I think that I have earned my bonus uh, points right there. Yeah, I thought for sure I was going to get you with that last one. <laughs> that means I just have to step up the game next time Absolutely. and try to get you. But yeah, I think you're even showing off there a little bit. You know, in our next segment, we talk about how Tennis is a, a game of great integrity and, and tradition. This sport really values the respect and the etiquette and sportsmanship. Um, this next segment is going to be called In or Out, and we're going to ask guests to reflect on some of the good character that they've experienced or witnessed in sport. It doesn't just have to be in tennis, but I did get the chance to sit down with 
former top 10 pro and now a global director for FILA, Martin Mulligan, uh, who's also from Australia. And I got his take on the sportsmanship in tennis, both historically and to this day. He does a really good job of kind of breaking down the generational differences that we were talking about earlier. Um, so here it is. My name is Martin Mulligan. Um, I'm working with FILA. I've been working with FILA since they began many years ago. And um, when I was playing, I was in the top 10 in the world uh, five times and uh, and my best result was my best result probably um, I won the Italian Open three times and I was in the final in Wimbledon so that, that's that's it in a nutshell where you faced Rod Laver right? that's and right yes yeah, yeah. yes how yes. was it facing an Australian? well you know we were all it's it's interesting you bring that up because we were all friends in those days and not that we're not friends today but we yeah. were and there was a camaraderie between the people from all the different countries the Australians used to go on tour of Europe and the US maybe for five months of the year so we used to leave around early May and come back at the end of September and so we were play the same tournaments more or less and we'd be you know, we'd, we'd eat together, and maybe not all of us together, but sometimes, you know, in groups of two or three or four or some, with some other friends as well, and there was a camaraderie, and uh, I think that's, you know, that's something that's missing today. I mean, I think that um, when, uh, when I, but the first year I went, there were a couple of older players, uh, Neil Fraser and Roy Emerson and Ken Rosewell, and they were speaking about the, the times when they were young, and so you learn a lot of history about the sport, which is something that a lot of players don't uh, do today, or know yeah. about today. You're not encouraging the younger people to to learn about the history of the sport, and I think that's that's something that becomes very important. That's a, that's a great to hear from Martin. Um, Martin is a very good friend of mine. I have a highest re regard to him and respect. Uh, he knows the game in and out. Um, he is so right in my book. Like I mentioned earlier, I, I value traditions and, and, and I'm a big fan of how the tennis was played in the old days. The Australians, they have this great mindset. They have this saying that uh, when you step on the court, you declare yourself fit to play. And that's how Australians have played this game over this um, over the years and I admire that mentality. I always knew that when I faced an Australian player it was it, it was a fight. They never ever walked away from the fight. And so I'm a big fan of it. But what is great about Australians is that they were so fair. Um, there is such a term as the, the manners matter. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that that is a great lesson to the young players. Tennis is a, is a sport that we can show, you know, the great sportsmanship and, and um, feels like, you know, good old days the manners meant more yeah and 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 the players actually had maybe a little bit more respect to each other they competed really hard and then in the evening they would go out to have a dinner and maybe a couple of beers and and, and have fun and that is missing from the nowadays nowadays uh, professional circuit everybody just disappears after they have played their match and and, and uh, you know that interaction is not happening anymore so let's talk about uh, one of the most controversial players on the ATP Pro, who's Australian, Nick Kyrgios. You and I have had some conversations before <laughs> about Nick Kyrgios as a tennis player and as a person, so I know we, we tend to disagree on, on our views on Nick Kyrgios. Um, what, do you, what do you think? I, I'm very clear in my, my, my attitude at the moment about Nick, um, and I, you know, 
somebody like Harry Hopman would be turning in his grave, <laughs> looking at how Nick is competing in, in the early phases of his career. There are a couple of facts that cannot be denied. Nick is extremely talented tennis player. Mm -hmm. Could be one of the best in the world. The fact number two, he sells a lot of tickets. Fact number three, he's not a great example for young players how to compete. And that's, I, I call that one a fact, not only my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I do not know Nick Curious personally, but um, I know a lot of people close to him and, and they tell me he has a great big heart, good human being. He does a lot of charity work like we are seeing now in the Australia during those fires. Yeah. But it doesn't change the fact that in my mind he is a worst role model to the young players at the moment because I cannot get over the fact that he tanks mm -hmm. and he doesn't put the effort in when, not all the time when he plays. He's selective when it comes to his uh, fighting spirit. I hope that he will grow out of it. You know, I can deal with uh, bad behavior a little bit. I know that the tensions run high during the competition and I watched and grew up and John McEnroe was going crazy. Yeah. But one thing that you could count with John is he always gave 100%. I mean that he was one tough, one of the toughest competitors. Nick still has those moments that his behavior is really bad. He shows lack of respect to the game and the referees, which tennis has seen from Ilina Stasi to John McEnroe and now to, to Nick. But Nick has a one more flaw that really doesn't sit well with me, and that is how he tanks. And he doesn't give effort all the time. And I, I feel like young players have to be able to, to see through that one. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's, it's exciting to see Nick to hit the tennis ball and play and, and hit the trick shots. I have no problem with the trick shots and underhand serving. That's part of the game. But my big problem is lack of effort. You say he tanks and then as a result of him, you know, not performing well in the match, he's his behavior starts to work. Is it a show? That's kind of what I guess I'm... You know what? Is um, it a show? I don't know 100%. I, I think that there's a part of it that is a little bit show. I know for the fact that Nick Kyrgios hasn't made a total commitment to be a great competitor at the moment. Mm -hmm. Time will tell if he ever will make that commitment. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no question that he can win slams. Right. But for two weeks to have that kind of uh, attitude and effort level, you know, it's difficult. And so far he hasn't been able to keep it up. He has had these fantastic moments beating Nadal in uh, Wimbledon and, and yeah. now again had a great match. But uh, to win in seven matches in a slam, it, 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 it's very, very difficult and you need to be a little bit crazy with your competing. So going back to kind of his behavior and his attitude on court that, you know, you mentioned he sells tickets probably because he is a talented player, but also probably because he's entertaining to watch and he brings some spice to, you know, an otherwise what some people might call boring kind of match or, or game. Um, so he is entertaining to watch. Uh, you know, he does implement a lot of little trick shots and his, I mean, every time I see him underhand serve, that's, that's ridiculous. It's comical almost. And uh, I think a good word to describe him on court is he's just kind of unpredictable. <laughs> you don't really know what might set him off. And, you know, he's, he's just kind of of a firework on court. So I think people want to watch his matches. He's keeping the game very interesting. And I think he is kind of a modern day McEnroe, maybe with 
you know, lacking some of that commitment um, and effort, but attitude-wise and, and kind of behavioral-wise definitely mimics a John McEnroe. I, I mean, look, like I said, I, I respect and I totally acknowledge his <coughs> talent level. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge the fact that he sells tickets and he brings interest to the game, which is always needed. Mm-hmm. But when we, and I think that we will have a, maybe in the future, we have a whole segment about entertainment and a competition part of the game, because you and me, we will, will be disagreeing a lot right. there. To me, the great entertainment is not when somebody is making, you know, backflips and, and you know, trick shots. <laughs> to me, the great entertainment is fantastic competition. Mm-hmm. When two warriors go each other and, and there's a drama because of that competition, to me, that is entertainment. Mm-hmm. I'm fully aware that to the, some younger ones, the new generation, that might not be the case. And at the moment, Nick is filling out that need. Yeah. Uh, but I think that is a counterproductive because of his selective with his effort level. So I think that we'll be talking about him and his impact on the game this year more, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think that it would be a healthy, healthy thing to do. Okay. Agree to disagree on our, our views on Nick Kyrgios. To wrap up this episode, let's just quickly recap some of the highlights from this Australian Open. This episode is uh, being recorded on January 29th, and it'll be out tomorrow, January 30th. So um, a pretty good time to recap what's been going on the last week and a half. So what is the biggest upset in your mind? In my mind, as I said earlier, you know, I am a big Serena Williams fan, and I've just been impatiently waiting for her to get that number 24 and... You know, hopefully I, I want her to get number 24 and then I want her to get number 25. And then I'll be totally fine with her retiring. I know she's older and, you know, has a family now. But I'm really, really rooting for her to get beat that record. And I, I know she has the potential to do it. Um, but her match the other night was so disappointing. I couldn't believe she got out, you know, so early on in the slam. And, I'm, you know, it's, when this keeps happening, I'm just... I'm just wondering, like, when is she, she going to get to that 24 or 25? There, there's a real chance that she won't get it. Um, she's, a, she's the greatest female player ever in my book. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge fan, but I'm a huge fan what she has done to the tennis universally. Right. She's, she's one of the most influential, not only tennis players, but athletes that we have had the last 20 years. So, yes, I actually want her to get to the record, and, and uh, I'm rooting for her to get to the record. But to me, it's not a surprise that she has moments like she just had a few days ago because she doesn't, she's not able to compete enough, mm-hmm. and it is very difficult just to show up to the, a slam and, and then win seven matches and, and, and beat all the best players in the world. Uh, I hope that she's able to do it. But I think that what she has to do this spring is to get eight to ten tournaments under her belt before Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. And then I would say that she's a favorite to win it. And she has a really good chance to win it. Mm-hmm. U.S. Open will always be tricky from now on because there seems to always happen some drama. Yeah. And it puts a lot of pressure on her. So I feel like the Wimbledon will be a time to do it. I hope she will do it. But I would give her chances at the moment to be around 50-50. Do you think, you know... If she gets to 24, she'll make a push for 25, or do you think she'll be satisfied with just matching the record? Okay, nobody can take nothing away from her legacy and and, and her accomplishments. Uh, To me, like I said, even if she's 20, 
three, she's the greatest female player ever. Uh, we have to remember Margaret Court was a great player and great champion, but you know, she won 11 Australian Opens out of her 24 when really the top players didn't go down to Australia. Yeah. So yeah. it was almost like an Australian national championship. So they are kind of, in my, my book, a little bit discounted championships. Okay. So in my book, I, I put Serena Williams and Steffi Graf ahead of Margaret Court. But I know that it's, 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 um, it's a personal opinion, but uh, yeah. we will see. I hope that she will get the record. She deserves it. There's no question about it. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for her. So that was, that was definitely a disappointment in this tournament. Um, she got out pretty early and I think unexpectedly. Another uh, huge highlight, Coco Goff, 15-year-old American, got a major upset over the defending champion Naomi Osaka. That was, you know, a, a crazy upset and, you know, kind of early on in the, in the tournament. What were, what were your thoughts on that? I'm not too surprised. Uh, only thing that I'm surprised is that Coco is so young and, and is able to play mentally in this kind of level in, under the pressure situation. But the, from the coaching perspective, if I look at it, a matchup with Coco and Osaka, the fact is that Coco moves much better than Osaka. Mm -hmm. And if Osaka is a little bit off from her hitting, yeah, Coco can take it home. So, uh, so I'm not super surprised. And we will get used to seeing her in the in in final weekend in the slams. And it, that time is coming fairly soon. All right. And um, next one, we did talk about this a little early on in the episode, but um, Nadal's win over Kyrgios the other night, that was, that was a good matchup because we do know the background, Nadal and Kyrgios kind of buttheads. They don't quite like each other. Um, and so it's always a good matchup between the two of them. They played an incredible match. Uh, happened to be on the same day as the unfortunate death of Kobe Bryant, NBA basketball player. And, and Nick Kyrgios did do a nice tribute um, by wearing the Lakers jersey. What were, what were your thoughts on that? I was very impressed with the quality of the match. Right. And so from the coaching perspective, the quality was fantastic. I was so pleased to see Kyrgios competing the whole three and a half hours. Mm -hmm. So that was that. It's a great match. And, and another one, of course, you know, Nadal, he's turning 34. Yeah. Had a rough battle today with, uh, with the younger player theme. Yeah lost the match, but again, it's just how physical he can still keep it being at 34 years old is fantastic. And we all know how, what kind of competitor and what kind of ambassador he is. So I'm, I'm always rooting for Nadal because um, he represents our game and the values of our game so well. Right. So, uh, you know, this, um, you know, Federer and Nadal, they are just, um, we are so lucky to be able to witness the last 15, 20 years, these guys just showing what this great game can be mm -hmm. and, and how exciting it can be. It's an example of that, to me, that is entertainment. Right. Uh, you know, it, it, it's fantastic. So um, speaking of Roger Federer and entertainment and competitiveness, how about his insane victory over Tennis Sandgren the other night? He saved seven match points. Did you watch that match? How, I did, did I did. Think? And, and um, I think that... Uh, Federer, you know, he got lucky, but he, he made his own luck, you know, had yeah. a lot of experience. He really didn't have any business of winning that match he, because his level wasn't good. Uh, there's no question that Federer, who in my book is the greatest who ever played, has lost not only one step, but two steps from his moment. And to still go to the semis and, 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 and competing for the titles, that's just a testament to his overall talent level and dedication and love of the game. Mm -hmm. But the quality of the match wasn't great. Mm -hmm. uh, there was drama, which is 
create entertainment right. in the right way. And, um, you know, I feel for tennis because I have known him since he was 12-year-old junior. junior yeah. You know, he competed a lot with our Dennis Kutlas and, and Mitchell Franks. And so I have known him. He deserves everything he gets because he works really hard. And, and um, you know, it's, it's a tough loss and hopefully he will bounce back. But um, it was great drama. Yeah. Every time when you save seven match points, that's 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 good drama. I mean, and even from you know Sandgren's standpoint, to to have seven match points, you know, against Federer, that's that's an accomplishment for sure. That's something to be very Absolutely. proud of. Absolutely. Uh, Ash Barty's still in it. What do you think about her potential to take that title and break what has been known as the Australian Aussie Australian Open curse, where an Australian hasn't won the Australian Open in? Since the 70s. Right, yeah, it's, uh, I think that in the men's side it was 1976 when Mark Edmondson won it. Mm -hmm. And then I think the girls' side, if I'm not mistaken, it was Chris O'Neill or. Yeah, Chris O'Neill, and it was maybe a couple of years afterwards, like 78. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's just a matter of time when, when, when party is going to win it. Mm -hmm. It might be in, in, in three days, uh, but there's no question that. Um, she has so much game. Um, yeah. She has everything. Seems to have a great competitive spirit, great pressure tolerance, moves well, and can can change her game, which is difficult for some other female players to deal with who are only hitting hard. So I think that she's going to have a hopefully great career. Her story is also great. She mm -hmm. was a number one junior in the world and then got burned out and just walked away for a couple of years and now she's back. Right. Reminds me a little bit about Jennifer Capriati who had a two careers. And uh, so I'm a big fan of uh, party. Absolutely. I'm sure Melbourne is just buzzing right now with, you know, the potential that an Australian could could have that title and keep it in Melbourne. Do you have any finals predictions for the Australian Open? I don't really have any, but I'm wondering what you think. I I have my predictions. Um, I think that then Dojkovic will absolutely, unfortunately, just he will go through oh, Federer very easily. No. That's my <laughs> prediction. I think that straight sets. Oh. So Dojkovic will be in the finals. Um, I think that team will beat Zverev. Zverev mm -hmm. um, is showing new kind of spirit in the later parts of the slam. So I wouldn't be super surprised if he goes to the finals, but I think that team will do it. Yeah. And then I think that Dojkovic will get his 17th Grand Slam next uh. Sunday. So that's favorites in my book. Okay. And finally, last point. You know, we have to talk about this. Uh, our very own Robin Montgomery, 15-year-old junior, over playing Junior Australian Open. And so it's her first time First in time Melbourne. in Australia. Yeah. Conditions over in Australia are different than they've been before because of, you know, all those bushfires. So yeah, I think uh, it's better now, for yeah. sure. But, you know, when they first got there, what, two weeks ago? Or yeah. It, you know, conditions were pretty rough, so... I think that it's uh, it has been a great learning experience in many different levels for somebody like Robin. Mm -hmm. um, so I make a prediction that Robin is going to win an Australian Open. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's this year as a junior, but it might be in the future as a junior or as a pro, mm -hmm. but I'm confident that she will be Australian Open champion. There we go, yeah, I think so too. Okay, so that's a wrap on this first episode of Get a Grip. Thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, please be sure to follow JTCC on our social media. We have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And, of course, subscribe to the Get a Grip podcast to be notified when a new episode is up. Okay. Thank you, Dad. Thanks, guys.